Pray with me. Our Father and our God, it is a rich, rich privilege to be audience of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the God of Gods. Father, thank you for inviting us into your presence this morning and giving us this rich, privileged time to lift up our voices and for you to put our hearts in, our right, in the right places. To put aside the distractions, the frustrations, the disappointments of this past week and spend time focusing at the foot of the throne of the King of Kings. To lift up our voices, to lift up our hearts. And Lord, you lift up our heads and give us cause for hope and joy. So it's been good to praise you, Lord. You have prepared our hearts for a word you have for us. From the life-transforming word of God. Changes us. Challenges us. Scrutinizes our hearts and our lives. You're a good God. You love us. And we love you. So now, Lord, we ask that the Spirit of God might uh, open up our hearts, open up our minds, give us understanding, cause us to welcome the truth, that you might do your work in our lives, your good work, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You don't have to dig very deeply into the book of James to realize that James is fed up with phonies. I don't know whether he had uh, a few of them populating his church or, or they were at other churches that he just heard about. I'm not sure. But when he was writing to God's people in his book, you know that he's fed up with phonies. He talks about faith that is real, looks real, and it does real God works. No question about that. But there is a dangerous flip side to all of that, and James will address that as well. And that is that some people think that they've got it all together with God because they are doing good things. Our world is full of charitable people. Philanthropists. People who are convinced that the good things that they are doing for mankind is earning them some sort of favor with God and setting them up. So you've got phonies on the one side who have claim to embrace the truth of Jesus Christ and are doing nothing about it. Their lives do not reflect it. On the other side, you've got people who are, who are functioning with all kinds of busyness and activity that is, that is good and, and, and is, is good to people, but, but they don't have a relationship going with God. You see, there is immense danger in leaping from what God has done for you to what God wants to do through you and shortchanging or bypassing what God wants to do in you. And James sets up his letter from the very beginning to talk to us about what God has done for us. And he also is going to talk about, in light of that, what you ought to be allowing God to do through you. But before you leap to that, let's make sure you are concentrating on what God is doing in you. Faith works that are really from God must come from faith that is really from God's work. And the evidence that perhaps you are bypassing or shortchanging the work that God wants to do in you 
he writes is pretty obvious. Got a lot of anger issues in your life? Relationship damage? Some sort of resistance to receive the life-changing word of God? I think that too many people medicate themselves with good works to compensate for the void in real faith. And so this morning, um, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1. There's a little section as he launches into the rest of his letter that is absolutely potent and necessary. And an essential checkpoint in the journey to real that we dare not ever bypass. Now let's not forget the context because we've begun this uh, a week or two ago. That the context is trials and tests and trauma and struggles and, and uh, wisdom living and authenticity and all of that. And in the reality of all of those things, the question that James surfaces here is, how are you handling the truth? And uh, that's a significantly important question because how you are handling the truth determines your eternal destiny. There is a linkage between what we've spoken about the last couple of weeks and as we flow into this next section. You see, in verse 18 of James chapter 1, he makes the point that God chose to give us birth through the word of truth. That we might be a kind of first fruits of all he's created. Uh, don't miss that. God has chosen, by the way, uh, uh, in, in the, if we were to literally or pedantically translate it, it would say, of his will, he gave us birth. Entirely of God. He chose to do this, but through the word of truth. How important is God's word? It, it is how you are saved. How Christianity came into your life. And how you became the highest priority and and primacy position to the living God over all of his creation. Imagine being called first fruits. That's the best. That's that's what what God is calling you. You are the first fruits of all creation. You are at the, the top. You chose to do this through the word of God. You were formerly spiritually dead and you turned... He turned you spiritually alive by your willing responsiveness through the prompting and work of the Spirit of God to receive the word of truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to believe it and so be saved. The, um, we know it's the work of God. God chose to give us birth because we were formerly dead. The dead are not hungry. They can't eat. That's why the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 55, 1, in describing how we ought to respond to God's word, says this. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, eat. That's why a core essential at Calvary Baptist Church is we take God's word seriously. That's not just a, a catchy phrase or, or what's, you know, we're a church. We better put that in. We better expect to put that in. No, we, we 
actually believe that's an essential core. It is a core truth of salvation. And so James is describing that you, if you have embraced, if you've received, if you responded to the truth, and you have become a follower of Jesus Christ, you are now granted that new birth, you become a first fruit. He is now answering the question, how can I, can, how can I grow in this kind of first fruits type person behavior? And, and, and if I were to, to reword a type of first fruits person, I, I would call them a, a God responsively fresh person. God moves in your life and you respond. God talks to you, you respond. That, you are a, a God responsively fresh person. And James is going to tell us in the next number of verses how that comes about in your life. So, if your Bibles are open to James chapter 1, follow along with me. There are certain choices you're going to find in this text that must take center stage in your life. Christian excellence does not happen to spiritual couch potatoes. Right? It just doesn't. My dear brothers, verse 19, and sisters, you know sisters are always included in brothers. Take note of this. This is important, James says. Underline this. Put it in bold. Come back to it. Look at it. Study it. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore... Get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. This is a powerful little package of God's word right here for your life, for living, for being a first fruits type of person, for being a God responsively fresh person. And the first core central choice that you've got to make in your life is to pounce all over listening and you'll have a chance at living right. Pounce all over listening, you'll have a chance at living right. You've got to upsize your listening skills and downsize your speaking skills and, and, and you've got to go really slow with the boil thing. You've got to check it into simmer or low or, or chill or whatever. But it means pounce on listening. Because anger is a serious threat to being God responsively fresh. It does not produce what tests and trials are supposed to produce. It's not wisdom from above. It does not set you up as fresh and fruitful, a righteous life. How do I know that? Well, he says it again in verse 20. 20. Man's anger, woman's anger... Mankind's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. It does not. Getting fired up first will not help you in this process of growth and will no doubt lead you into sin. 
Anger builds up barriers between you and God and you and your brothers and sisters. There's too much ripping into people, too much reporting on people, too much blowing up all over people, too much gossiping about people. Anger causes us to rip people and blow up at people, and speaking too much causes us to report too much on people and to gossip too much about people. And James says, you've got to stop this. It doesn't produce. It doesn't produce the righteousness of God. If you linger over listening and ponder long before speaking, you will seriously minimize the tendency to anger. Now, um, one of the commentators suggests there are two really important questions that you should ask yourself before you share things about people. We like to share, don't we? We've got something to share with you about somebody. First question is this. Could the sharing of this information have the effect of harming someone? Could the sharing of this information have the effect of harming someone? That's a good first important check question. The second one is this. Is there any possibility that my motivation for sharing this information is less than pure? Is there any possibility that that my motivation for sharing this tidbit of information is less than pure? James says, listen, listen, listen. Upsize your listening. Downsize your yapping. And slow down on the burn thing. Because anger doesn't produce the righteousness of God. So listen long, speak if you have to, be slow and deliberate in your relational interactions. That's good stuff, isn't it? That's wisdom stuff. But it's connected. This, this whole section is connected. That's connected to what it means to be a first fruits kind of person. That's what it means to be God responsibly fresh. That's what's starting to happen in your life. This is the kind of work that God wants to do in your life. God has done something for you by bringing you to faith that you've responded to him. He has done this for you. Now he wants to do something in you so that you will be useful for him to do stuff through you. Don't race to through you until God has has done a whole lot of work in you or you'll mess up the through you stuff. Now, by the way, that's how anger is loosed. We don't listen, we yap, and we fire off. That's how it happens. But what we have to ask ourselves is what causes it? Now, if you keep reading here, he says, um, Therefore, verse 21, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. What? happens here is um, he's saying choosing anger over God's wisdom is an attitude issue. Remember what he said right from the get-go? Consider it all joy when tests and trials come into your way, when trauma and tragedy and struggles and challenges. Consider it all joy? That's an attitude thing. Now the flip side of that is I get mad. James says don't get mad, get glad. But most of you are getting mad. And he says, this is, a, this is an attitude problem. So the second thing he's saying is, you've got to shed the tood in favor of teachability. You've got to lose that thing. It, it, something is feeding this attitude that's fending off God's wisdom in your life. 
And basically, James articulates it and he says, you're hoarding moral garbage. Furthermore, you're ignoring a tumor that is growing in your life that's obvious to all. Like it's, it's like hanging out there. The, the moral filth and the, the evil that is so prevalent, like it's, just, it's, it's consuming your life. Now, you don't want to be like that. It's not your intention. You don't get up every morning and say, boy, I hope I can, hope I can practice moral filth today and the evil that is so prevalent. I'm, I, I really set my sights on that today. That, that's not what you... That's not, here's what he's saying. This prevalence thing. For most of you, uh, you're going out in that world, office, marketplace, retail, the school... Uh, you know, policing, wherever you guys are, wherever you people are, you're going out into a, into a world that is no friend of Jesus, for the most part. And, and you are day in and day out inundated in your life with all kinds of moral filth and the prevalence of evil. It's all around you. You see it. You hear people speaking it. You see how people are interacting with one another. You see how they're treating one another. And you are being trained in the ways of the world. It's sticking to you, he says. It's attaching itself to you, and it's starting to become a cancerous tumor. Is literally talking, this prevalence thing, he's literally talking about the, the welcoming of moral filth into your life that is starting to grow into a malice mass. Now, how many of you want to have a malice mass in your life? That's not something you want to have. You want to cut that thing out of there. James says, you've got to get rid of that. You've been ignoring the fact that there are some internal dress issues in your life that are a mess. And get rid of is a command. It's an imperative. It means repent of this. It means look at yourself and say, I, I am, look how I'm interacting with people. I'm treating my wife the same way as I see the guys treat people they don't like at the, at the factory. What in the world am I thinking? What am I doing? You've got to come to the place where you recognize that in your life and you repent of it. You say, I've got to turn from that and stop it. Get rid of it. Get it out of your life. Remove the filth that's polluting your life. The way people are treated around you. The way people are gossiped about around you. The way people are ganged up on around you. The way relationships are just discarded around you as so much trash. It's polluting you. And whether you know it or not, it's causing you to be filled with anger. And when the least little thing happens, you fire off at somebody who you love. Say, where did that come from? The moral filth you're proudly wearing and the malice mass that is attached to your soul is filling you with anger toward others and resistance, importantly, to the truth. Because he ties this together. Look at verse 21. Get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. And humbly accept the word planted in you. Which can save you. This thing is not only causing you to be uh, yappy and nasty to people. But it's causing you to be resistant to the word of God. Which by the way. Is really important. Because it saves you. 
Sin, though it destroys, propagates in your life. So thirdly, he's suggesting that you ought to be letting the Lord speak into your life instead of you, his words save you. So look at this text a little bit closer. There's something pretty important here for us to understand. Humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. I don't know if you have spent any time thinking about the mechanism of your salvation, but in truth, what happened to us when when God chose to give us new birth, he gave us a life-giving transplant, planted the word of God in our lives, which enabled us to come alive. A life-giving transplant, something we were formerly deficient of, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and he transplanted a life-giving power source, the word of God, into our lives. Now, by the way, uh, James is not the only one to talk about this kind of language. In fact, if you turn over just a couple of pages in your Bible, in 1 Peter, for instance, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, he uses the same descriptions. 1 Peter 1, 23, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, a planting through the living and enduring word of God. If you turn over a couple of more pages in your Bible, you'll come to the first epistle of John, John 1 John chapter 3. And in verse 9, same language. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed planting remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. You've been given a life-transforming, life-giving transplant. If you accept it. If you receive it. It is necessary to save you. You can't get out of the gate. You can't do step one in Christianity unless you receive, welcome, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there will be a transaction that takes place if you welcome it, if you receive it. A transaction that you need because you are dead spiritually. A transaction, a transplant that will bring you to life. And the process now that James is talking about is this transplant. We have to keep on accepting and receiving the word of God. It's an imperative. Get rid of and humbly accept. That's a command. Receive. The word is actually welcome the word of truth, the word of God. Because when you receive that transplant, uh, you, you, you are able to dial into the frequency of God. Uh, as you welcome the wavelength of God, the frequency uh, your transplant is dialed into, God's saving work comes to life in you. And if you have skipped it, you are not a follower of Jesus Christ. If you are skipping it, It is interfering with the saving work that God is doing in your life. Now you said, look, you're kind of losing me here a bit. I thought that James was talking to people who were saved. Yes, he is. And I thought that if I responded and welcomed the truth of Jesus Christ, 
that I would be born again, that this transplant would take place, and that I would be saved. You're absolutely correct. But we can't neglect what James and other writers are writing here, which suggests that, yes, you were saved by responding to the truth, but you are being saved by continually welcoming and receiving the truth, and that someday Jesus is going to save you for eternity. And James here is talking about the ongoing saving work that is going on by welcoming and receiving the word of God in our lives. You have it if you are a child of God. You are a follower of Christ. You are born again. You have it. You have the transplant, but you have to keep it supplied. It's kind of like a chargeable battery. You need outside boosting to keep the power up, to keep it juiced up. And that you know that it's not juiced up when you're chirping at people, when you're angry and grouchy. It's not, it's not topped up. You've got you've to keep it boosted. And by the way, when you keep it boosted up, it continues to cause you to be hungry for more. This is how the cycle works. If I stop receiving, welcoming the word of truth continually into my life... I start to starve myself. And when you starve yourself, you, are, you, you know how this goes. You stop being hungry. Now, there's not many people who are going to stand in front of a group of people and say, you've got to fatten yourselves up. But, but you've got to fatten yourselves up with God's word. So that you'll be more and more hungry and you'll want to consume more and more of God's word. And the health of God will work his way into your life. And we're to do it with humility. Humbly to receive. Humbly to welcome. Not resist God's word. Which would be an act of arrogance. An act of attitude. With meekness, this humility, this word is teachability, meekness. The picture is like a racehorse that is racing down the track with a jockey on it. And all of a sudden, the jockey just decides to stop the horse. Stop. And this powerful racehorse was just dying to get to the finish line. is just like gyrating, but it stops dead. Because it's received the command from its master. That's the picture of humility. Meekness, not weakness. Power stopped by the master. Receive the word of God. You see you're going the wrong way and the master points something out to you in the word of God. You stop! That's what he's talking about here. The preaching of the word and the receiving or welcoming of the word work together by the work of God's spirit to save you. Now, he doesn't stop here because he's concerned that people might say, okay, I will listen to the word of God. I'm all ears. He says, listening and welcoming the word of God isn't the end. Do not merely, verse 22, listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Okay, so fourthly, listening's not enough. 
Doing is believing. That's why we began the ACT study groups, the small groups. Really, basically right out of this text and other places in Scripture. ACT, our small group, stands for Applying Christ's Truth. We want to make sure that nobody in the church just comes on Sunday morning, sits in a pew and just listens to the Word of God and walks out and says, well, that was an interesting sermon, but doesn't do the Word of God. And so there is a requirement to apply the Word of God. The Word saves us. The Word is saving us when we are doing what the Word says. That's how receiving is defined, really. That's what it means to welcome the truth. It means to listen to it and do what it says. Hearing only puffs up. You become intellectually superior. You know everything there is to know about the Bible. You become a Bible head. But you're just puffed up. Or, perhaps worse, it makes you accountable for negligence. You know what you're supposed to do but you don't do it. That's negligence. And, and the reason that, um, that he tells them that we must do the word of God is because our memories about ourselves are, and our self-concept is, is self-deceiving. He says the word of God is kind of like a mirror. You know, I, in, in the whole word of God thing, we say, well, okay, I'll look at it. You know, somebody shoves a Bible in front of you. Okay, fine, I'll look at it. Oh, okay, fine, I'll go and hear a sermon. I'll listen to it. And, and so we listen to it, and, and it points out something in our lives that, that is really challenging that, and that we're not doing and we need to do. And we say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going that far. I, I'm not sure I really actually need to do it. I know a lot of other people need to do that, but I'm not sure I do. We are self-deceiving You know, I know there's a lot of ink spilled today in psychological circles about the low esteem of people generally. But you know, when you do a lot of studying, apparently we're not as low esteem as the psychologist would have us to believe. So a researcher from Rutgers University by the name of Neil Weinstein, who has studied self-concept, self-esteem, how people view themselves... And reported in a book called The Pursuit of Happiness by David Myers, Neil Weinstein uh, did some study all around the world about people. Listen to this. In survey after survey, at least 90% of business managers and college professors rate their performance as superior to that of their peers. Now, I want you to get a grip of of the math here, okay? 90%. At least 90% of business managers and and college professors consider their performance superior to their peers. So everybody's looking at the guy beside him saying, I I do better work than you do. And the guy who he's saying, I do better work than, is looking at you saying, I do better work than you do. He's doing better work than the guy who thinks he's doing better work. You know, something is awry with these numbers. But he didn't stop there. In Australia, isn't it nice that it's some other country... Got any Aussies here this morning? Anybody willing to admit? Okay, we got no Aussies here this morning, but someone will pick it up on the web for sure. I'll get some sort of comment. In Australia, 86% of people rate their job performance as above average. 
while only 1% rate theirs as below average. Now, these are, these are people with high self-esteem. Now, think about it. 86% think they're better than average. You, you realize the math isn't really working there. So, we deceive ourselves. We do. Let's, let's face it. When push comes to shove, we really do, for the most part, think we're better than maybe we really are. And God's word, it says, is like a mirror. It's completely honest about our true selves. We have all kinds of subjective ideas about ourselves, but what we need is some hardcore objective truth. Like the mirror every morning. You know what I'm talking about? You walk into that mirror, you look at it in the morning, you go, ooh, it like startles you. At least that's how I'm encountering the mirror on any morning. It startles me. And I think, you know, I looked so good last night. And, and uh, I forgot that in the morning, what I really looked like. And so that is with God's word. You know, you're, you're wandering around life thinking, you know, I'm, I'm looking pretty good. And you forgot how rotten you really were yesterday. Or, or you know, you get those, um, a couple of weeks ago, I was in a hotel and they had one of those, um, those super mirrors, you know those things? They're those, those round things. I, I think the ladies know what they are. They probably, they probably use them a lot. But I, I hadn't really done much, much work with one of these things. So I, I was there and I pulled the thing out from the mirror. And this big round thing. And I, like, I stuck it right in front of my face. And I was like, whoa! <laughs> I mean, that thing, that baby shows every wrinkle, every pore. You are like... When you start staring at that thing intently, you're saying, man, I got some serious work to do. I, I, I need some, a serious facial as fast as I can get one. You know, I, was, um, I bumped into a friend that I hadn't seen for like 20 years. And, and, uh, and, and this person was a slightly younger than me. And I thought, I, I looked at them and I thought, man, are you ever old? <laughs> and then it dawned on me as I walked away, they were probably thinking that about me. Because we forget about, you know, just days go on one after the other. We forget what we're like. And, and, and James says, you can't live like that. You've got to go back to the Word. You can't be 20 years away from the Word of God. You're going to look at that thing and say, man, am I ever looking horrible? You've got to work yourself every day. God's Word is like a mirror. You've got to be completely honest. Mirror work must be done right away while you're still gazing or it won't be done right at all. You know that. You look, you say, man, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not looking great. You walk away and think, ah, you know what? I think I'm looking okay. You've got to do something right then when you're looking at the Word of God. Doing God's Word must come before doing God's work. Because we're so quick to say, hey, my misfortune, it's always somebody else's fault. My anger, hey, come on, it's always justified. Mine is. My anger is always justified, and it's righteous indignation, Lynn. It's always righteous indignation. A relationship's always damaged by the other person. We pick a fight so that we can justify our choices and our excuses. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You can't have God's wisdom and ignore it too. So what's the final uh, wrap-up here in this teaching of James? 
verse 25. He's contrasting. He's saying, look, you're not going to be like, don't, don't be like that. Look, this is how you should live. The man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Now, the final reality is this. Forgetting results in missing blessings from promises with future effects or from pleasing Christ. There, there are four important steps that he lays out here. Looks intently, continually, not forgetting, doing, and then blessing. Keep in mind, he's talking about how the Word of God shapes your life, changes your life, saves you. Particularly in the context of everyday, the everyday grind of life with the challenges and struggles and tests and trials. God's word wants to be your application for trials of your faith. God's word will keep you from being filled with anger. God's word will provide a way of escape when you are tempted. God's word is saving you. The gift of salvation comes with accompanying active obligations. Faith is a living, active reality, or it is not faith at all. Father, as we pause... And consider your word and the power and presence of the Spirit of God moving our hearts to respond and receive your word. Lord, I pray. I pray that you would build into us a responsiveness to right now, this moment, in real time, to resolve to get rid of moral filth, the stuff that's sticking to us and attaching to us because of the polluted environments we live in and shed that garment, take it off, move it away and willingly respond to the word of God that can change us. Looking intently into it, continually, not forgetting what we really are and acting upon it for blessing, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I could never, ever stress enough the importance of God's word. The word of God itself has stressed its importance. You know in your own lives its importance. The word of God is living and active and sharp. It saves us. It was the transplant of the word of God into your dead heart that brought you to life. You responded to the gospel. You received it. You welcomed it. The Holy Spirit of God transformed your life and saved you. The Word of God continues its work in your life to save you, to grow you, to take that transplant, that seed, and grow it into maturity that you are a Christ-like follower of Christ, a type of first fruits kind of person. God responsively fresh. 
usable by God to go and do amazing things that he wants to do through you. Now, I don't want to presume that everyone here is even out of the gate. Maybe, maybe today that was like a, an, an eye-opener for you. That was a heart-opener. I've never welcomed the Word of God into my heart. Maybe that's, maybe that's your, your lingo here this morning. I've never received the Word of God. I've never welcomed the gospel of Jesus Christ, the truth of God's Word, that Jesus died for your sins, was buried, and rose again. You can write this morning... Respond to the Spirit of God who's tugging at your heart and asking you to open it and allow the life transplant to take place, that transaction, right now where you are. You can begin the journey of having God's Word come alive in your life and continue to save you and transform you into the image of Christ and someday to take you to be with Him for all of eternity, to save you to the uttermost. Maybe others of you have said, yeah, I've been short-circuiting the work of God in my life. I welcomed the word of God in the, at the first with freshness and enthusiasm and excitement and came to know God. And something has just calmed down in my life, slowed down and died in my life. And I'm, I'm really not paying attention to the word of God. Listen, this is what James is talking about. You got issues. You know you do. You're filled with anger. You're having trouble with relationships. You don't have any hunger for the word of God at all. You know that's going on in your life. Today, you've got to make a change. You've got to make a choice to repent. This is a spirit of God work in your life. Get rid of it. Decide today. Get rid of it. God has done a great work for you in salvation. God wants to do a great work through you. But you must get serious about what God wants to do in you so that you can enjoy and experience and benefit from all that God wants you to have in this life and in the life to come. I'm going to close in prayer and um, maybe somebody in here this morning says, yeah, you're talking about me. I need to respond to God. I haven't. I haven't got that new birth, but I want it today. Our, our staff, our pastor is going to be here. Lynn will be here. We'd love to talk to you about how you can come to know Christ right where you are. Just, just say yes to Jesus. Maybe you want to be prayed for because you've kind of come to a, a stop in your life and you're just not moving forward. You want to get rid of stuff and you want to welcome the word of God. We'll, we'll come. We'll pray with you. Whatever it is, we'll be here. Father, uh, this is uh, do business with God time. This is not listening to, listening to the word of God. This is doing the word of God. And I pray, Father, that you would move in the hearts of people here this morning in a powerful way, a Holy Spirit way. We weren't reviewing a novel today. We didn't take out a, a storybook. We were talking about the living, powerful, life-transforming word of God able to change people's lives, to take them from abject spiritual poverty and give them riches, abundant, every spiritual gift in Christ. This is what we're praying about today, Lord. So uh, be, be pleased to work among us. We exalt your name. We lift you up. We love you. Come and do your work in our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.